Okay. Um, now before I fully start, I uh, also need to pray. So the uh, the thoughts for this sermon were really coming well in my mind for weeks, and then I sat down to write it. It became more difficult. <laughs> anyway, uh, let, let me pray. Thank you, Father, for uh, giving us this day. Thank you for the darker day, the cloudy day, uh, the rainy day. It reminds us, one, of uh, this dark world that we're a part of, that things do get, light does get shaded. Um, but uh, we also know it also shows us that life is coming uh, in the end as the water that rains upon us does give life to this good earth of yours. And be with us now as uh, we tackle, again, uh, your word, especially this uh, wonderful, wise idea and characteristic of humility. Uh, thank you, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, as I usually do, I want to claim um, Jesus' promise in Acts one eight, when he said to his followers, and he says to us, that we shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, and uh, we will be his witnesses as a result of that. Um, I want to claim that for not just me, but us. Uh, that is a reality even today. Um, thought I'd start with uh, a reading. This is a. Uh, a poem from a book called Bucolics uh, by Morris Manning. And uh, it's uh, number 29. These are all poems written uh, as if by a sharecropper. Um, doesn't matter who, what kind, just anyone could have been a sharecropper. So these are kind of like prayers. Oh, and uh, God is called Boss. Okay. Boss of the blue sky, boss of green water, boss of rain with thunder out in front of it, boss of the flattened land bottoming out the hill. Oh, boss, you've got a hundred marvels underneath your belt so tight you'll have to poke another hole. If you keep bossing, you 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 boss so much you couldn't take on something else, or could you boss? I guess you could. You're good at bossing, boss. You'll keep on being boss. Boss of this, boss of that. You're not swelled up with pride. You're just a boss. Whenever I see the shadow of your straw hat, boss, I get back at it. I know you, boss. You even boss your shade. So, we continue our march through Proverbs. Uh, because it is a very appropriate book for our current moment in history. Uh, If there ever was a time that there was a need for wisdom, it has to be now. Of course, wisdom is always wise to have and exercise, but it seems that right now the gas tank of wisdom in our culture is empty. The vehicle is slowed and come to a complete stop, and now the vehicle is deteriorating by the side of the road. That is why we are going through Proverbs. This is God's more concise communication on the nature of wisdom. 
here in this book of Proverbs. And we are now looking at the characteristic of wisdom in the latter two, looking at the characteristics of wisdom in the latter two-thirds of the book, which is why we are addressing the topics herein. Uh, remember to not be afraid to share any vignettes from this series with your friends or even on social media. And this is called, we're calling it Old Testament Twitter. It may become annoying, but we have to keep striking that bell of where the true source of life and wisdom comes from. Uh, there were two books that theologian Francis Schaeffer wrote that had an impact on me uh, as a young uh, adult, and they still do to, the, do to this day. One was titled, The God Who Is There. It's a good book, I recommend it to you. It's a tome about, essentially, the existence of God. The God Who Is There. That's what the book was about. And then he followed up with the second one uh, called He Is There and He Is Not Silent. And that was addressing the argument of a distant God. And Schaefer was saying he is not a silent and distant God. And one of the ways that God is not silent is not only through his revelation, his word, the Bible, but he also uses us to speak these realities that we see and glean from this thing to the world. That is why we need to continue to strike that bell of truth and wisdom, even when people don't listen. It's still true, it's still wise to follow God, even when everyone else around us doesn't. This morning I'm going to talk about something uh, that must be gained and exercised, but it cannot be pursued. It would be like seeing a valuable treasure, knowing its worth, but only attaining it by not going after it. Worse still, attaining it by not even not trying to attain it. In fact, it would be better to not know this treasure was even there. And that is how this treasure is gained. I know, I'm not really making sense. Think about it. Maybe this will come. It makes no sense whatsoever, but I have been thinking about this characteristic, the topic of humility. By the way, I don't know why right now I'm getting these ones that I'm not good at, like diligence and humility. I mean, Fred's getting family. Buzzy's getting friends as topics. What's going on, Fred? Anyway, so, but it'll come. I think, I think Brett has justice coming from the topic, so that'll be good, finally. Anyway, so as I've been thinking about this topic of humility, I've been constantly driven to how strange, how almost useless this characteristic is. At the same time, it's inestimable value. It seems almost utterly useless, yet it seems incredibly valuable. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Screwtape Letters, wrote about exactly this in one of the letters. If you've never read that book, you should. Uh, Uncle Screwtape uh, writes to his nephew, Dear Wormwood. Dear Wormwood. He writes this little sentence. Uh, Screwtape is a demon, a greater demon, who's writing to his nephew, the lesser demon, Wormwood, about a patient, basically a human being, that he has been tasked to take down. And the Screwtape Letters is a series of letters from Uncle Screwtape to Wormwood about how best to do that. So Screwtape wrote this to Wormwood about his patient. Your patient has become humble. 
have you drawn his attention to the fact? All virtues are less formidable to us once the man is aware that he has them. But this is especially true of humility. I want to talk to you about the absurdity of humility. Uh, This morning, I'll comment on three things. Uh, I want to try and define it. I want to try and define it in this first point more from a worldly point of view, how, how we kind of see it today. And I want to talk about the absurdity of humility, and then I want to talk about the only way absurd humility makes sense. So we'll, I want to give it some definition. I want to talk about how it's, it's absurd and then how it, the absurd makes sense. So the definition. If we were to stop here and then say we stopped and we just started gathering closer and we started having a conversation about the characteristics of humility amongst ourselves... And we started throwing out and stating what we thought it meant. I suspect we would start throwing out phrases like lowly, not proud, maybe even poor uh, for the idea of what humility is. Humility or the state of being humble is the opposite of pride or the state of being proud. It's actually here out of the Bible that the Proverbs, uh, the saying, uh, pride comes before the fall, actually comes from Proverbs 16. Uh, in the ESV, it says pride comes before destruction. So it's the opposite of that. So I think we would say that humility is defined in our culture, uh, that it involves a lowering of someone or something, whether intentional or not. You can humble yourself in some senses by your own actions, like living below uh, your financial means or even just living if you don't have high financial means. Or you can be humbled or humble someone, like when it is is said that an enemy was humbled. Uh, They usually went to defeat. They were humbled. So it communicates a state of lowering or lowliness. This is why we say, like, someone like Mother Teresa was humble. She lived in a lowly way, serving some of the poorest people in the world. She was a humble personality, a humble person. Historically, St. Francis of Assisi was someone who was considered humble or lived in humility after his conversion. He was born in the 12th century to a very rich family. His father was a silk merchant merchant at the time, as basically the equivalent of a millionaire uh, today, essentially. And as Francis grew, he was a bit of a party man, a dandy, loved fine clothes, the rich life, women, Uh, He served or tried to serve in some military uh, ways during that time, and that didn't exactly go well. But, I mean, how could you not party? How could you not enjoy the good life if you were rich enough? But after his acceptance of Christianity, his life changed dramatically to a much more humble state. If you've you've never read a biography about Francis, or excuse me, St. Francis of Assisi, I, I encourage you to. The formal definitions I have found uh, as I look them up are are along these lines. Uh, Humility, not proud or arrogant. Feeling insignificant. Low in rank or importance. So this follows, I think, culturally what we would say uh, humility means in our culture. And it it was as I was thinking about these definitions that it led me to my next point, which is the absurdity of humility. 
This may sound like I'm overstating this, like I'm being a little hyperbolic, but I don't think I am, and let me tell you why. Why is humility an absurd characteristic, particularly in our culture? It is absurd for a world that doesn't seem to have it, doesn't seem to want it, let alone exercise it. If humility is a lessening of yourself, not highlighting yourself, not lifting yourself up, similar to that, the saying, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, then how does that jive with the path our culture has taken? If it's a lessening or a lowering, our path of our culture doesn't seem to do that. Listen to some taglines. Maybe these are familiar to you. You deserve a break today. That's McDonald's. Where do you want to go today? That's Microsoft. Can you hear me now? That's Verizon. Bet you can't just eat one. Eat just one, right? That's Lay's. Everywhere you want to be. That's Visa. Have it your way. Burger King. Is it in you? Gatorade. I want my MTV. Because you're worth it. Women know this one. L'Oreal. Because you're worth it. This is a newer one. I, I'm not familiar because I didn't grow up in this generation. Gotta catch them all. Pokemon. <laughs> the younger generation knew that. Here's one. I didn't know this one. Broadcast yourself. YouTube. Now, all these sayings have, have other valuable characteristics wrapped up in them, and I don't want to slam them completely, but is it an interesting that thinking about ourselves is also very present in them? Not thinking humbly is in them. Another example of how humility doesn't seem to fit uh, in our culture is uh, social media. I know I harp on it a lot. It's like a necessary evil, it seems like. But uh, things. look what I've eaten today. Click. Uh, look what I'm doing today. Click. Uh, look who I'm with today. Uh, read what I think today. Please like what I like today. <laughs> uh, Twitter... You share your ideas, Instagram, you share your pics, TikTok, your videos, Facebook, all of the above. That's why you are now, it's now called Meta. Again, though all these things are not completely wrong, they seem to carry inherently a lean away from humility, making humility seem absurd. Just the thought aside here. Uh, to restate, I'm not trying to slam the ways we communicate in our current culture. One of the things all these examples show, even though the exercising is the least of them, is they show me, at least, that people have a deep desire to be known. And not just be known, but also accepted. Could we also, not, also say a wish to be loved? That's just something to think about. So we even see how humility is absurd in some of the bigger prevalent worldview or ideas that have influenced our present world. 
the idea of planned obsolescence. It's an idea that emerged out of the 20th century, kind of out of our Western abundance culture and free market ideas with something called planned obsolescence. It's the idea uh, of, that came out of an area of academic study called uh, industrial design. What, was, uh, what it was was it had to do with shortening the time between needed purchases of items. So you made things with the mindset that they would end so that they would have to be bought again and replaced. To quote an interesting line about this subject from Wikipedia, it was a deliberate shortening of a lifespan of a product to force people to purchase functional replacements. I'm thinking about me and my company and my product. So I will build into it its end so that they have to buy it again. Is that humble? Now, before we start blaming the producers, let's turn to us. <laughs> Designing inferior stuff to take a more, uh, more advantage of more uh, purchases doesn't sound humble. Uh, but this form of economics or industrial design was also created to always put forward a new or the newest design. What do Apple followers are like? They get the new one. That's also a result. So always having the new or the newest design was there so that the person could always have the new thing. That doesn't sound very humble either from the consumer or citizen or purchaser. But this is a part of our culture. Humility in the context of planned obsolescence seems a little absurd because it doesn't help me sell things and it doesn't get me the new thing. If I'm a lowering of myself, if I'm, not th if I'm thinking less of myself, I'm not trying to necessarily look for the new thing or want people to get what I make. Let's look at a worldview example. Darwinian evolution as it is applied, uh, and its applied ideas. One of the ideas that came out of Darwinian evolution is the idea of natural selection which is the principle that various species die or survive depending on their quality and ability to continue existing or living and evolve. That when certain species live or die as they experience evolution happens naturally as a selection process to continue a species. Out of this idea came the phrase survival of the fittest. Darwinian, uh, Darwin didn't coin that phrase, but a guy from the same period of time uh, came up with that theory and he based it on Darwin's idea of natural selection. And it's pretty easy to discern the phrases, meaning if you are the most fit, you raise the probability of your survival. And yet you have to ask, how can you and yours continue to survive by being the strongest and the best? Where does the uh, characteristic of humility fit into that? Now, before I answer that question, let me give you one more example of a larger idea. Secular humanism. Basically, the idea of secular humanism is, uh, thinks that uh, things like morality and human development or human improvement hap can happen without God or don't have a God to happen. That human beings don't need a God to be fulfilled and thriving. Man, or human beings, are the measure of all things. There is no greater being than man or humans. And 
There's nothing beyond what we can see with reason or science that we couldn't understand. We just need to get there to look at it and reason it and see it with science. Essentially, there's nothing outside the box of the universe. There, there's only the box. Whatever we see here, touch. The things that we don't see on the far side of the galaxy or the universe, we just don't see them and don't know them yet. But we could once we get there. I mean, that's, there's nothing outside that. So there's no God. If this is in fact the case, then in my mind, humility makes absolutely no sense at all. If human beings are the ultimate, then why would human beings look to lower themselves in humility towards one another? If we're the ultimate, if we're the pinnacle, why would we need to humble ourselves? It just doesn't make sense. It is possible, I guess, for humility to fit into the ideas of like secular, or survival of the fittest or secular humanism. Um, Secular humanisms, if human beings are the pinnacle and survival of the fittest, uh, certainly one could act and exhibit humility even in those contexts. But that, you'd have to ask, to what end? If Darwinian evolution is true, humility would not be true humility, but a false humility. Because you're using it just to get your species to, to advance, right? So you're not really using it to humble yourself. You're, you're using it manipulatively to control your evolution and to become a better species. I guess in secular humanism, if you exercise humility, I, I guess it would have some merit. You are to humble yourself to help your fellow human beings be nice and thrive, right? I'm humble so that Chris Lang can be humble because he'll see my humility and then he'll exercise humility and then that will pass on to Mickey and then the Mickey will pass it. You know what I'm saying? That, I guess in secular humanism, if there is no God and I, we are the ultimate, then that would be, I guess, maybe one benefit of exercising humility in a world of secular humanism. But I don't, again, I don't know why you would want to do that. It would seem to me that true humility has to have the grit of eternity to be true. For it to be truly powerful and real, it would have to last in some way, because there's always the threat of it ending. Like, even if I were humble, it doesn't mean other people are suddenly going to be humble. And so it doesn't seem like it would work, with, even with the idea of secular humanism. C.S. Lewis once wrote, a man is never so proud as when, he, as when striking an attitude of humility. So, this is why I said at the beginning that the treasure of humility is best gained by not seeking it, by not even being aware of its existence. Which brings me to my last point, the most important point of this sermon. All this I've said thus far leads us to what, is, what real humility is. The fear and knowledge of God is here in this humility. The avoidance of destruction is herein. I mean, we, we look at the... Look at the verses. Instruction, fear of God, destruction, reward, riches, honor. They all exist through humility. So this is where humility is far from absurd. It makes absolute and supreme sense because the answer is, in fact, Jesus. Yes, I just juked you. I, Jesus, juked you. 
The answer is, in fact, Jesus in this, in this way. The only way absurd humility makes sense or works is stated in Philippians 2, which is with, was the final reading. Let me read it again to you. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility, humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. True humility is in Christ. And it's witnessed in his life as stated here by the Apostle Paul. He said he took the form of a servant found in the likeness of men. He became somebody that could be seen and seen in humility. The only way that humility makes sense is if, it's, if it is something that is beyond us, that is sourced in something more powerful than us. In this case, the nature of God and Jesus of Nazareth was the incarnate God. Let's just look closely at the passage here and, and some of the phrases Paul uses here. He says, do nothing from rivalry, uh, from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. It seems to say that there is, while in, in the place of humility, we should do these things. So humility should already be present. It's not something you gain. It's something that's present as you're doing these things. So in humility, count others as more significant. So it's almost as if you, when you count somebody more significant, you are in that, therefore, in humility. See, it's the treasure you get without doing it. How do you do it? I count others more important than myself. Ah, humility. There you go. You get the gifts. It says here, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. Sound familiar? Love your neighbor as yourself. It involves both not only loving ourselves, but those around us. You see the same thing echoed in love your neighbor as yourself. Think of yourself you have interests, but at the same time, look into the interests of others. We've got to continue to eat and drink and keep ourselves uh, from staying too wet. But at the same time, the Olsons are about to have a baby. So we think of our own interests, but we're also ready to think of the interests of others, right? That baby is very much on their minds. So how do we enter in that? Humility is coming as we do that. Then he said, then Paul writes, have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus. Do you know that this statement means that we can have the same mind as Christ? Did you, did you read that? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. I can have the mind of Christ? Apparently. Paul wrote it this way. That's wild. The treasure then comes. Humility, I'm not seeking it, right? Then look at the phrase uh, later on. Gosh, I don't have the, uh, the numbers aren't on here. Um, taking the form of a servant. 
I think about this one, taking the form of a servant. About the last night before Jesus' crucifixion, where uh, during the Passover meal, he stood up and at one point began to wash his followers' feet. He did the duty of a servant to those who were supposed to be his servants. John 13 said, When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? Not for you, to you. (laughs) You call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for I am. If then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. He wasn't doing that to pursue humility. Humility was already in him. He was exercising it because the, tre- the treasure is his. Matthew 23, 10 through 12 says this, Neither be called instructors, for have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall never be, shall, the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Look at the phrase, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. Humility doesn't come by pursuing it. It seems to say here, humility comes by what? Being obedient to God. Again, the treasure comes when we don't pursue it. Jesus wasn't, didn't actively be humble. He was obedient And that exercised the humility. Do you understand? And look at the phrase, to the point of death, even death on a cross. How far did this humility go? All the way to humiliation. He wasn't just humbled, or he wasn't, he didn't just have humility. He wasn't just humbled. He was humiliated. Crucifixion is not a humane way to die. Yeah, in our culture, at least try to ask the question, okay, with the death penalty in, in stage, well, which is the least one that suffer? That's why we come up with drugs. The electric chair, though horrible, was actually developed because they were trying to find a more humane way of executing people. See, at least we think about that. Not back then. The Romans were like, nope, we're going to stretch them out on a tree. We're going to put nails in their <laughs> extremities, and we're going to hang them up so that everybody sees it. I mean, that's... It's not very nice, Mr. Romans. (laughs) Then finally, the last phrase, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Reread these first two Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. Humility existed, then what came to Christ after that? God highly honored him, exalted him, and made his name the biggest name. True humility involves being afflicted. That is evidenced by the life of Christ. And that affliction is not only from inside ourselves, it is also outside. We struggle with ourselves. We abuse ourselves. I mean, that's why there's a lot of depression right now. But it also comes from the outside. And this, it's something that 
kind of is a, a level of judgment. And this is a hard thing. The humility that came to Christ was from the outside on the cross. But that was a needed judgment to get us where we are. And that is an offer of eternity. In fact, that's the way the definition in the Bible of humility is. It has this aspect of afflicted to it. There is an aspect of humility that is painful, even carrying judgment. But why should this surprise us? Why should affliction and judgment surprise us about humility? Consider Genesis 3, the first sin. And Adam and Eve were humble. As I think Brett did, I don't know, was it last or a couple Sundays ago, God killed the first animals in front of them to clothe them. That had to have been humbling. One thing that came up while I was thinking about this, and you might have a question, but at least I did, so I'm going to share it with you because I'm up here and you're not. But um, what about this aspect of God as a jealous God? That the, being jealous doesn't seem like a very humble attitude, right? I mean, God is a jealous God. How is that possible? Well, you need to imagine that there's nothing greater than God. Let's do an exercise. Suppose you were the ultimate being in existence, of existence. Nothing, there's nothing greater than you. And you made other beings. You made them. They are like you, but are lesser because nothing can be equal to you. Because you're the greatest being, most powerful. And suppose you created all things. Now, imagine if those beings, those lesser but good beings, rebelled against you. And imagine if they started worshiping themselves, each other, and other things you created. So they're worshiping things that are lesser than you. And they're worshiping you, those in a way that was supposed to be worshiping you, the ultimate being. So they're worshiping that, not you. So what would be a natural inclination? Jealousy. It's not jealousy and anger necessarily. It's like you're not... Doing the correct thing. God gets jealous because there is no one competing with him. And he created everything. This will be my last quote from C.S. Lewis this morning. Once, he once wrote about pride and humility. And he said this. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you are looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. God is always looking down because it is the only direction he can look. <laughs> there is nothing above him. He is the above. So, humility truly is an enigma. I hope, I hope what I've talked about this morning shows you that. It's, it's, it's that treasure. I can't I want that. But I can't want that because as soon as I want that, it becomes not the treasure I, want, I need. So how do you grow into something you can't pursue because it defeats the very attaining of that something? But it is an enigma. Let me finish this point by adding the two verses that my wife said, asked if we were going to read those two. And that is verses 10 and 11 in Philippians 2. If you look at those, they say this. Verse 9 says, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus... And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus, 
Every knee should bow. Bowing seems pretty humble. In heaven and on earth, and here's it, under the earth. Hmm. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There will be a time, because of the humility and humiliation that Jesus suffered and his exaltation, he's been honored now, there will be a time where everyone and everything, everyone and everything, angels and demons, those things under the earth, will bow. Because they will humbly realize that Jesus is in fact Lord. This is not a Jedi mind trick. You bow to me. These are not the droids you're looking for. No, that's not the way it's going to happen. We're going to realize it, and they're going to realize the truth, and they're going to willingly bow their knee, because that's what's true. Jesus is Lord. So how do we practically express this? Let me give you a couple of thoughts, and then that'll be the end of it. God wants to humble us, and we need to let him. Because his humbling is the path he walked himself. The path of Christ. So we need to let him humble us. And he does that through in our community, through our wives and our husbands, through our good friends. Second, study humility, but don't put it on your to-do list. <laughs> Today, be humble. No, don't, don't do that. Don't. I'm going to try and be humble this week. Don't put humility on your to-do list. Look into it. Study it. <laughs> As you walk the pilgrim path, and you're not alone in this, we're all on this same path. Humility will come as you grow in other characteristics that are much more graspable in some ways than humility. Obedience to God. Thinking of others. Put that on your to-do list. How can I think, how, we've begun to think, how can we think about the Olsons in the weeks to go? We put that on our to-do list. We can do that. Humility comes with that. As we walk, third, as we walk this same path of Christ, he has not left us unconnected. We have the Holy Spirit. Look at the last chapters of John. He talks about going away, but he's not leaving us alone. The third person of the Trinity lives in us and amongst us. This was Jesus' way of being with us even in this very moment. This was his way of accomplishing his kingdom through us. And humility is there. So, when Paul says, be filled with the Spirit, that is a constant, the, the verbiage there is constant. Ask to be filled constantly. Fill me, Lord. Forgive me for that. Fill me. You promised. (laughs) You promised to fill me because you commanded me. Anyway. Perhaps by putting humility or removing humility from our to-do lists, we actually might actually get good at it. And we won't even know it, quite honestly. But that humility uh, changed the world in Christ. Let me pray. Jesus, thanks 
for your word. Thanks for um, uh, experiencing the extreme humiliation of a vicious death. taking that path for us. And we're so grateful that it didn't end there and that there is, in fact, an empty tomb. By your Spirit, who you said you left with us, would you guide us uh, and fill us, not only this week, but in the weeks to come, so that we can be obedient. And Lord, we do pray that you would... um, Continue to give us the treasure of humility without us knowing it uh, through these methods, through these ways. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.